Thank you so much. This morning, I'd like to speak to you about the grace of God. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 8 through 10, very familiar passage of Scripture to you, to me, uh, to so many, a great passage of Scripture. John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, said, I am not what I, what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be, but still, I'm not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Someone else said, nothing whatsoever in the way of goodness pertaining to godliness and real holiness can be accomplished without grace. Today we look at the grace of God, the amazing grace of God, the unending grace of God. And I'd like for you to look at the text from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're a born-again believer, and I would assume or I would think that most of you are, not, not everyone who goes to church is a born-again believer, but I think that many, if not most of you, are born-again believers. Born-again believers live a life of grace. Some lives manifest or appear to manifest more grace than others, but for all there is a measure of grace. And let's start right there. Let's talk about measuring God's grace. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The measure of God's grace. If you Google the words portion control, you can go to the Mayo Clinic website where you can read the following. You may be confusing portion control and servings. A portion is the amount of food you put on your plate. A serving is a specified amount of food defined by common measurements such as cups or tablespoons. For instance, a pancake serving is four inches as shown on the left, but a typical portion we might eat is six inches or two servings of the the pancake uh, portion. Similarly, a serving of milk is eight ounces, but the portion you pour might be twice that size, like the one on the right. If your portion control is out of control, you may be supersizing your meal by yourself. There's a difference in the portion and the serving. How does God control the portion of His grace? How much grace do we get? How, how does, does God serve up the grace and what does he put on, <clears throat> on our plate? Well, first of all, God uses a really big serving spoon. So the serving of his grace is plenty. But the portion of his grace is even more impressive. 
For instance, God serves up a portion of grace that is great grace. It's not a little bit of grace. It's not skinny bit grace. It's not a dab of grace. It's not just a smidgen of grace. It is great grace. The portion of God's grace is great. Acts chapter 4 and verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. The early church prayed and they asked God for power. They wanted the power of the Holy Spirit. And God answered their power by giving them great power, but also in addition to that, giving them an abundance of grace. He gave them more than they asked for. When we understand that that we are all sinners, that all of us are, that we we have <clears throat> we are a we are a bucket of deplorable sinners. <clears throat> when we come to understand that, that we really are deplorable. She had that right. We really are deplorables. When we come to understand that, that our claims of righteousness are not only empty, but they're also impossible, then we come to see the need of great grace. We need great grace, and God gives us great grace. Our perspective is that it takes more grace to save a hardened sinner than it does an eight-year-old girl. But the reality is that in the eyes of God, both are in need of great grace. It doesn't take just a little rub of grace to save an eight-year-old. It takes great grace. And it doesn't take any more grace to save a, a sinner of 78 years than it does the one who was a sinner of only eight years. Both are in need of great grace. God's grace is great grace. That's a big deal. Could at least one of you say amen to that? Amen. Now here's the second measure of his grace. It's transcending grace. Not just great. It is transcending. 2 Corinthians 9, 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Some believers have received the salvation of Jesus Christ, but they missed in their understanding of the surpassing, the transcending grace of God. Therefore, they are saved, but they do not have the the peace that they should have. They they do not have the, the victory that is theirs. And the reason is because they think they just got enough grace to get by. They think they just got enough of God's grace to save them, as, as the, the Bible says, yet so as by fire. But God's grace is not only great, it's transcending grace. It is a grace that surpasses any need that we might have. The grace of God is exceeding. If you have a hard time getting past the past, try to understand that God's measure of grace 
is great and transcending. It transcends anything that has come up in your past. It transcends any problem that you've had in your past. It transcends any issue. It surpasses your past. There are people that would say, and I've heard them say it, they've said it to me. They said it to me almost as if I can give them uh, more forgiveness than they already have. Oh, but pastor, if you only understood my past. Well, I don't have to understand your past. I just have to know the grace of God. The grace of God is great and it's transcending. It's bigger than your past. It's more powerful than anything that you've ever done or thought about. God's grace is a transcending grace. Even more, the grace of God forgives our past, overcomes our presence, and keeps us in the future. Now, we should try our best to live for God. We should live for the Lord. We should obey Him. We should walk with Him. But I will tell you, we are not going to be perfect. And whenever you have one of those highly imperfect days, as all of us do, please understand that the grace of God is greater than you thought it was, and it transcends whoever you think yourself to be today. I was saved when I was eight years old. Two weeks, I'll be 67 years old. That means I've been saved uh, almost, is it almost 59 years? Is that right? I can assure you that there have been some days when I really needed, obviously needed that transcending grace. But could I also say this to you? That every day was a day that I needed God's transcending grace. I never lived up to his grace. Did you? Did any of you ever live up to the grace of God? Did any of you ever think to yourselves, well, today, me and God are kind of even. Because I'm having a really godly day. I'm really something. This is the day that God is glad to have me as much as I'm glad to have him. Oh, no. No, no. This kind of, this kind of, of life that we live, this sense of security this, that we have, this hope that is within us, is from the grace of God. It's a transcending grace. Now, the problem comes when we think that it's a licensing, licensing grace. There's a lot of that going around today. There are a lot of places where God's grace is a license just like God's sovereignty is a license. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how you live. You have God's grace. Well, that's not the way Paul addressed it to the Romans in Romans six fifteen. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. We're looking at the measure of God's grace. What is the measure of God's grace? God gives to us great grace he gives to us transcending grace. Now, I would, we're about to hit some turbulence, so I would ask you to buckle your seatbelts right now. Because here's the third one. He gives to us diverse grace. His grace is not only great and transcending, His grace is diverse. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each of us received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
The word varied there means variegated. It means various colors. It means various sorts. We are to be good stewards of the diversity of God's grace. Now, that's a challenge. It's a challenge to be a good steward of the diversity of God's grace. Now, why? Because we're not God. And it's hard for us to see through grace eyes. But God's grace is diverse. Can you be a good steward of the diversity of God's grace? For instance, can you accept that the grace of God is offered to those who are so far from you, your way of thinking, your way of living, so far from your your lifestyle, your value system? Can you accept that the grace of God is so great that it reaches to people who make you shudder in their very presence? I mean, things that, the way that people are and the, the way that people present themselves, it's, sometimes it's, it's, you walk down the street and it's like a freak show. Yet God's grace is varied enough to be great and transcending for them as well. There's a guy in, in, in uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina. And he is a, <clears throat> you, you look him up, I think he's supposed to be the most tattooed person in the world. And he's got not only tattoos, he's got, he's got knobs and different things like that implanted under his skin. And, and he's really, he's really something. There's a street <clears throat> in uh, Buenos Aires that's called Florida Street, Florida Street. And Florida is a street that's been closed off. And it's now a walking street. It walks several blocks and you cross over other streets that have traffic on it, but you walk on Florida Street. One day, I was walking on Florida Street on the plaza, and there sitting on a bench was the most tattooed man in the world with all of those knobs and stuff like that, poking around and just under the skin. It was, <clears throat> it was the weirdest thing that I'd ever seen. Evidently, it wasn't so weird for the people of Buenos Aires. They were walking right by him, not even paying him any attention. But I stared at him just like you stare at the naked cowboy when you go to New York. I went, my goodness. Do you know that God's grace is so variegated that it reaches to people that are a freak show to us. It reaches to people that, that just totally turn our world upside down and also turn our stomachs. God's grace. The same great grace, transcending grace, that was needed to reach you, <clears throat> no more and no less of it, 
is needed to reach them and is as available to them as it is to you or to me. Nobody has to clean up their act to receive the grace of God. If they receive the grace of God, a transition, uh, a transformation will take place. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. If God's grace isn't diverse, then why do we try to reach people who are unreached? Why do we sing at the close of a service oftentimes just as I am? Should we not be singing at the close of the service for others to come to Jesus just like me? Instead of just as I am, shouldn't we be singing they should come just like I am? If they can get like me, then they can be saved. Oh, I have so many illustrations of that. But I got to tell you something. God's grace is varied. I was, I was preaching one time in a, uh, <clears throat> in a city in Argentina. And after the service, a guy came up to me, one of the most vibrant Christians that I had ever met. Tremendous guy. And we were talking and he was so excited about the Lord and he was excited about the message. And I found out later that he was living on borrowed time because he had AIDS and he had gotten AIDS the way you think people get AIDS. Yet his testimony was vibrant and alive. You know why? Because God has a varied grace that can reach anybody, anybody's life. Our hearts should be open to those for whom God has a heart. And how is the heart of God manifest? Well, 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think if we were the authors of grace, some of us would have slow grace. We would say, oh man, let's, let's, God love them. Come on, you, you get the grace, but now you, could you just at least go put something on different than what you're wearing? <clears throat> then we'll deal with the grace thing. Could you just deal with a little, I mean, just have a little decency, would you please? When God saves us, he doesn't, he, he, he saves the indecency. He saves the blackness of our sin. God looks to the heart, the Bible says. Let God do the transformation through salvation. Don't ask people to transform themselves for salvation. That's just the opposite of the message of the gospel. What is the measure of God's grace? It's great grace. It's transcending grace. It's diverse grace. Could I say this? It's sufficient grace. His grace is enough. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses 
so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The question of God's grace is, is it enough? And the answer is that no matter the need, God's grace is enough. On our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that we're beyond the need for God's grace. We live, we walk in the grace of God. This is a grace that we believe in. This is the grace that we we live. It is God's provision for our every need when we need it. God's grace gives us what we do not deserve, and His mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. The measure of God's grace. Have you received the measure of God's grace? We said, well, Pastor Ray, we're the, we're the people that showed up. Of course we've received the measure of God's grace. Well, I, I believe that you have. And if you haven't, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do so in just a minute. But let me ask you this, what are you doing with the grace of God? Well, I'm, I got it. <laughs> do I need to do something with it? I mean, is that, is that a thing? You're supposed to do something with the grace of God? Oh, yeah. We minister the grace of God. You take that measure of the grace of God, the greatness of it, how it's transcending, how it is is varied, how, how it is sufficient, and diverse, you take that and then you minister the grace of God. God has a ministry and a purpose for everyone who has received his grace and are saved by his grace. Second Corinthians 6, 1, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Do something with the grace of God. What do we do with it? We minister it. What is our ministry of God's grace? How do we live His grace in our lives while ministering it to others, ministering to others through His grace? Well, it starts with this. It starts with a ministry of humility. It's kind of different, but it's it's the truth. James 4 6 says, But He gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. God's grace is evident in humility. We're always impressed with people who have a lot, who can be a lot, who have done a lot, yet they appear to be just a regular person like you or me. That always impresses us. We say, you know what, bless their hearts, they're just, I mean, they're this, this, and this, but they're just regular folks. They're just regular people. Now, take that, if you will, and, and apply that to the grace of God and how people live His grace through the, the regularness, the humility of their lives. All of you know that... Um, or most of you know that my son Matthew, we have police officers in our, our church, 
My son Matthew is a police officer in South Florida. He's in a town called Palm Beach Gardens. It's a, um, it's a pretty cool town. If you've never been there, you, you'd enjoy going there just to see Palm Beach Gardens. It's pretty, pretty nice. And they're having, the, um, they're having the Honda Classic golf tournament there. That's why my face is a little... Little, it's either red or tan. I don't know which one it is, but it's it's uh, it's not winter color. It's uh, we, I've been out in the sun a little bit. I went down earlier this week. I, I've I've been there four years in a row. I love to go to to golf tournaments and watch these these people play. It's just unbelievable what they can do and how far they can hit it. And and they're most of them are like NASCAR drivers. They're tiny little people. They're not big as a minute. And so Matthew, uh, one of the jobs that Matthew's had the last four years is that he is a, um, a course guy, and, and he is assigned to what they call marquee players. There, there's certain players they can play and nobody will bother them. But there are other players that folks, you know, crazy people would jump the ropes to get in there and, you know, in the middle of somebody's round, uh, take something out there for them to sign. And so Matthew's kind of a, a body guy. In fact, if you want to see Matthew today, uh, Matthew is um, this afternoon, um, Ricky Fowler is in the lead down there. And Ricky Fowler tees off at 145 this afternoon. So on NBC, watch the, the Honda Classic, and Matthew's going to be walking with Ricky Fowler today. Now, that doesn't mean he's with him the whole time, but he's, you'll see him along the ropes. And, and understand that there are three guys that are walking, two really fat guys and Matthew. Okay, because the other two guys really are. I mean, those those guys. I don't know how they make it three holes, but uh, but <clears throat> Matthew, you'll you'll see Matthew out there. Um, Matthew's the one that means business. But anyway, Matthew's first day uh, this this week when he was walking um, with the pros was Thursday, and he walked with Sergio Garcia, um, Zach Johnson, and Paul Casey. Three very, very good golfers. And uh, he walked with them Thursday and Friday. Well, at the end of the day, um, actually, uh, two things. I'm, I'm way off subject here because this is kind of cool, too. Matthew, Matthew was in the walking down the third fairway, and, and there's, a, there's a rough cut off to the side. And he looked down, there was a golf ball. And it wasn't one of theirs. I mean, they scour the course. He looked down, there was a golf ball. And he picked it up. And it was a Titleist Pro V1, and he flipped it around, and it said Air Force One on it. And uh, so he brought it, and he showed it to me. He said, Dad, take a look at this. And I said, wow. I mean, that, that's a long way from Mar-a-Lago. You talk about a bad shot, but, uh, but anyway. <clears throat> but, um, but at the close of the round, um, Zach Johnson gave Matthew a golf ball, and he signed it. Now, these golfers have to mark their golf balls. Every golfer has to mark their golf ball so it's with a unique marking, and they record the, the marking and all that kind of thing. And so Matthew brought it to me. He said, Dad, take a look at this. And, and I looked, and, oh, wow, Zach Johnson, that's cool. I like that. He said, no, look closely. And, and he had put three crosses on the golf ball, and then on the opposite side he had put three crosses. I said, wow, you should say something to him about that. He said, I will tomorrow. 
So Friday morning, Zach Johnson came in and, and Matthew said, hey, Zach, thank you for giving me that, uh, that signed golf ball. He said, ah, it's not a problem, uh, Matt. And he said, and I really like what you did with the marking on the ball, the three crosses. And here's what Zach Johnson said to him. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. He said, it all begins there, doesn't it? That's the humility of God's grace. That's ministering. That's, it's not a loud statement. It's just a subtle statement. But everybody at the PGA says, oh, Zach Johnson, he marks his ball with three crosses. Pretty cool, I think. That's what we're supposed to do when we receive God's grace. We're supposed to minister God's grace. And remember, humility isn't just isn't thinking lowly of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself. We have the ministry of humility when we prefer one another. We, we have the ministry of humility when we defer our wishes instead of being demanding. If we do not have the ministry of humility, it'll be hard to have any kind of ministry at all. When we have the ministry of humility, we can minister the grace of God because it will give to us the the ministry of testimony. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. To, to minister the grace of God, there must be humility and there must be testimony. Now, there are many ways to harm our testimony. We can lose our testimony. We can harm it over immorality. We can harm it over greed. We can harm it over, over dishonesty, over anger, over strife. There are a lot of ways to, to lose the ministry of your testimony. And most of us at some point have lost the ministry of our testimony. In some point, at some place, we've lost the ministry of our testimony. We've lost the ministry of our testimony in a public place or on the road or or with our family, or with our friends, or at work. We've lost the ministry of our testimony. When you lose the ministry of your testimony, you cover up the ministry of the grace of God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'll just acknowledge with you that all of us have done that. All of us have, have lived and, and done certain things and acted certain ways that that afterward we would not want anybody to know that we're a believer. We would not want anyone to know that we name the name of Christ. But I'll tell you, if you're going to minister the grace of God, there has to be a ministry of humility that leads to a ministry of testimony. And once you've had the ministry of humility and the ministry of testimony established in your life, then you can follow your ministry of calling. You can follow what God has called you to do. Galatians 1.15 says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. Paul said, God gave me a calling. His was a calling that was unexpected and his was a calling that was undeserved. But when he was born again, when he was given the grace of God, then in grace God called him. You can never predict what God's going to call you to do. You just can't do that. You really can't. You, you can think, well, you know, God is going to, 
uh, have them do this or that. I can just see this already, that this is what they're going to do. This is God's. Look, God has a calling for your life. We are born with God's will for our lives, with a purpose in our lives, and we're born again to find God's purpose for our lives. You say, well, I, I've missed God's purpose for my life. Not yet. You haven't missed it yet. No, no secret what I'm going through with, with the transition that Jan and I are, are making But we are not making this transition because we think we have fulfilled God's purpose in our lives. We are pursuing God's purpose in our lives. And by the grace of God, we'll continue to live God's purpose in our lives. If you find the ministry of humility and the ministry of testimony, it will not be long until the ministry of God's calling is found in your life. You'll see it and you'll know it. The happiest people are the people who know that they're doing God's will. Even when the outcome is not right, they they know that they're doing God's will. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. It's easier to do that when you are understanding of the grace of God and living the ministry of the grace of God by a a ministry of humility and a ministry of testimony, then you say, this is the ministry of my calling. I don't know why it's going in this direction. I don't know why it has turned this way. I don't know what, I'm not responsible for the results. I am responsible to be a good steward of the grace of God. The measuring of God's grace. The ministry of God's grace. Finally, the maturity in God's grace. What does God's grace do for us as we mature in our walk with Christ? 59 years, saved 59 years, that's a long time to be saved. You say, it really is, preacher, but then again, I'm saved for eternity. When God saved me at eight years old, he said, buddy, this is for eternity, this is for keeps. Now you start growing, you start developing, you start maturing as a believer, mature in God's grace. There were a lot of years that I was just kind of like this, then there were some years I was like this, then came some years that I was like this. I never have really grown like this, it's always been more like this, or maybe even like this. Oh, there might have been a time where I'd like this, but, but hopefully... It's mostly been on an increase and sometimes slightly a decrease, but overall a maturing in God's grace. How do you mature in God's grace? What does that do for you? Well, first of all, it gives you stability. Hebrews 13, 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. There is within the word of God a systematic theology, a belief system, something that we believe. Some people have a hard time understanding what they believe, and some people have a hard time believing what they understand. But it's the grace of God that establishes us. If you find yourself inconsistent in the Christian life, it may be that you are not yet established in grace. 
You may have no foundation or a moving foundation or a lack or you lack the foundation of grace that God has established. It, it is past time for all of us to come to understand the grace of God by which we are saved. That grace is what we spoke of in our text this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And then it says, for we are his workmanship. We're being established. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants you and me to mature in in grace, to be established in living uh, in grace, and not living in doubt or not living in fear, but living in grace. And with maturity comes some courage. There's a little courage that comes along the way. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2.1. It's the grace of God that strengthens us and enables us. And then finally, maturity not only brings stability and courage, but it brings increase. You want to increase. You know, grace is like everything else. We should show an increase. Oh. In your job, do you not expect to show an increase? Do you not expect to be better at it as you go along the way? Whether it happens or not, don't we expect our financial picture to get better, that, that we have increase, that we show increase? So it is with the grace of God. We want it to, to increase. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the end of the day of eternity. Amen. To grow means to increase. We want to live a life of increase. More today than we were yesterday. Many people rely on talent. They rely on pedigree. They rely on position. But the increase of God comes from the grace of God. That's why we shouldn't boast about it. That's why we shouldn't brag about it. Whenever something good or positive or powerful or right or magnificent happens in our lives, we we must understand that we live by, we grow by, we prosper by the grace of God and nothing else. God was good to us. God did this for us. This isn't our own doing. This is the doings of God. When we get to heaven, there will be no way to measure to see who was the most deserving of God's grace because no one deserves it. It was all of God. In heaven, if if we could look back in heaven to see what we were before, to see the pit from which we were rescued and recall how confused we were before he found us, his grace would really be known in our lives. And could I say this to you, that if there were a balcony where we were looking back on our lives 
And we were looking at, at how the grace of God brought us from what we were to where we are. May I say to you that we would be standing, you remember those deplorables that I said? We would be standing along a railing of deplorables because we all needed the grace of God equally. We all did. When we realized that God adopted us into his family and he held us in his hand and he gave his son for us, we will know how his grace increased and abounded and met every need. Or as we sang, my chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, his mercy reigns unending love, amazing grace. Today you live and walk and are who you are by, because of, and through the grace of God.